we interrupt playing Pokemon Go to bring you this very special interview from Book Podcast. <sighs> no, that, perhaps you're not that, on the Pokemon Go bandwagon. Is that like a legit, is, it, is that from the game? That, that is the music. It is not from the game, though. It's from YouTube. Are you are you lying just to save face? People don't. No, no. Because here's the whole thing: I downloaded the game, although I don't like it at all, and and I went to the game to get that music, but it only plays for like five seconds, and then mm-hmm. goes to kind of like a real background kind of music mode. So I had to find it on YouTube. So you're not playing Pokemon Go, is what you're saying? <laughs> no. Oh, man, everybody everybody's playing it, and <sighs> here here's why I'm annoyed by it. Um, as you know, I, I've been playing. Um, ingress for i don't know three or four months now um which is made by the same people so like the game engine and everything niantic is the ones really responsible for bringing pokemon go i mean there's licensing and stuff involved and i'm out playing ingress in every area so they used areas from ingress oh no little pokemon gyms yeah so now i go to a place to play ingress and there's like 400 like teenage kids and a lot of asians (laughs) <laughs> Walking around like bumping into one another, bumping into me—it's—it's it's ridiculous out there, man. It's—it's it's tough out there for us Ingress players right now. So, do you think uh, is it going to get to a, like a can't beat them, join them kind of point, or? No, I, I don't like the mechanics of the game. I like Ingress a lot better. Um, yeah. Ingress is played on on like a I don't know, I says on a bigger scale. Yeah. Like there are people who will go from state to state to try to like make huge Ingress fields. I'm not one of those people. But really, that one's a lot more, I think, travel-based versus yeah. just walking around or being able to play in your house. That's not something you can do with Ingress unless you have the luck of living somewhere that's you know within you know, firing distance of a portal. So, Gotcha. So, yeah, I think it'll die down. And boy, are those people going to be miserable come wintertime. Yeah, because they're going to be like, <laughs> you know, cold. Yeah. Can I tell you what's what's funny about the world, though? I did a little bit of research. Um, so Nintendo stock went up 37% in, uh, in, in uh, well, Japan's yesterday, Japan, like, stock market. Uh-huh. Basically, because of Pokemon Go, and Nintendo only owns, like, 10% of Pokemon. But since everybody didn't know where else to turn to, like, get in on the cash-in on it, <laughs> the entire value of the Nintendo company went up by 37%. Well, I guess that's a good lesson. You only have to own 10% of something to uh, cash in on a stupid craze. I thought about it over the weekend and actually Googled, like, who owns Pokemon Go or or who owns Pokemon. And a a bunch of companies apparently all own, like, a percentage of it. Mm -hmm. Most of the places I'd never heard of and, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, well, yeah, Nintendo. (laughs) But it was like they own such a small percentage of a game that's, I don't know how much revenue it's generating currently. But I imagine not a lot, as most, like, 10-year-olds don't have credit cards, so... I don't know. <laughs> Any rate, what are we doing tonight? I forget. So this episode is our second of two in our interview series, following up our review of the Soul Standard. In this episode, you're going to hear us review first Richard Thomas review. I meant interview. <laughs> say that we again. could review him like as a person <laughs> if you want. We'll just at the end, we give him some stars. We could. Well, that that'd be kind of. I mean, is that crossing any? Boundaries or breaking any trusts or anything, or do you think that's pretty legit? Oh, not that I'm aware of. Right. So we'll be <laughs> well. We could review Richard Thomas and then just interview Axel Tyree, and then that would be super unfair, right? 
Yeah, that would be a little unfair. <clears throat> so we'll be interviewing. First, you're going to hear us talk with Richard Thomas and then Axel Tyari. So the last episode was about an hour and a half. Hopefully, we'll maybe keep it closer to an hour, but who knows? If someone gets to rambling, we're not going to cut them off. No, and I think the listeners, I, I mean, I think on pretty much every medium when they clicked on this link, probably saw how long this episode is. So I don't know if we're actually like keeping them in suspense about the length. There you go. Thinking about what I'm just thinking about myself. <laughs> like, I don't know how much work this is going to be. That's pretty much what I care about. <laughs> Let's remember to ask Richard about Pokemon Go. Um, yeah, we'll absolutely have to. I know he's got kids, so maybe they're doing that kind of thing. I don't know. Before we bring Richard on, I'm just going to read his, his bio real quick. And um, this is just it should just be assumed that Richard was in the book anthology. But here's the rest of his bio. He's the author of four previous novels as well as over 100 stories in print. He's the editor-in-chief of Dark House Press. He's also edited three anthologies, anthologies, uh, including the recently released Burnt Tongues, which he co-edited with Chuck Polinick. He lives in Chicago. Visit him on the web at whatdoesnotkillme.com. Richard, welcome back to Booked. It's been uh, it's been a couple years now, I think. Yeah, uh, thanks, Liv. Yes, I appreciate it. Hey, Rob. Uh, it's been a long time. Too long. Let's call it too long. Um, how you been, man? I've been I've been good. Uh, I have a lot going on. It's it's really exciting. Uh, I'm really appreciative that you're you put everybody on from the Soul Standard because this has been quite a project going back. I don't know what what did you guys say five years? I can't even remember how long ago it was, but it seems like a million years to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we are glad to finally have it, um, and uh, we'll talk more about I think uh, some of how the book was put together a little later. But why don't we start off by having you tell the listeners a little bit about your story and their golden geese? Oh man! Um, whenever I think about my story, I, I always think of it in context to the rest of the world because that we built together because it's also connected. Um, you know, I, I wanted to work with Axel and Nick and Caleb on something for a long, long time. Um, my story in particular, um, I think I'm trying to remember back to the my mindset when I wrote it. I remember I was on this writing residency called Writers in the Heartland. It was out in the middle of nowhere in these cornfields of Illinois. I think that's part of the backdrop that I had those cornfields to work with. But I'd already kind of decided that uh, we each kind of picked a different part of the city and obviously wanted to make sure we weren't going to overlap. So, you know, and I'd been writing a lot of kind of crime, neo-noir stuff, a lot of urban stuff. So I, th I think I felt like I really wanted to do something more rural, but still had that kind of feeling. You get that a lot in Southern Gothic, but you don't get it in a lot of urban crime, you know, because obviously that's, you know, kind of what places it there is that you're in a, a, an urban environment. So I remember thinking that I wanted to put it kind of at that straddling the fence between the city and this the outskirts um plus i moved out here to the suburbs of chicago you know 12 years ago and so i have that kind of as my backdrop too <clears throat> so i see this kind of stuff all the time you know cornfields and forest preserves and you know i'm sure when you guys drive around it's like sometimes you're like oh that'd be a great place to bury a body <clears throat> and you see all these farms and stuff and you, know, you just drive up someplace to go, I don't know, do something with your kids, and you're riding horses, and you're like, there's a bunch of big hogs, and you're like, oh yeah, you know, Silence of the Lambs, you could just toss it right in there. Um, I remember I wanted to um, take on 
that, that mix between the crime noir, neo-noir, and I wanted to have something kind of supernatural in there. So when we tapped into kind of the juice angle, and then I don't want to spoil my story or the others, but there's an aspect with some kind of slightly supernatural weird stuff in there that causes things to happen. And I wanted to kind of play in that weird area. I always like to deal with damaged characters and protagonists, and you know, people get themselves into trouble and how they get themselves out. I like to portray them as, you know, Every man, you know, normal guys who, you know, either through their own desire or, or through chaos or randomness that they've gotten into some, some dark stuff and either can't get out or don't want to get out. And so I, I wanted to explore the idea of, you know, he has a daughter and, you know, being part of this city and part of all the, everything's connected in the soul standard, you know, connected to all these different things. But the mistakes that he made that kind of made him who he was and then kind of the weird things that made him who he was. And then what happens out of that? You know, could I get to an ending that has any sort of redemption or is there no redemption or is it, you know, still trying to get you to care about somebody while you're witnessing some pretty brutal things? Um, <clears throat> when we were uh, editing this this manuscript with, with Guy over at Dezenk, um, I hadn't read my story in a long time, my novella in a long time. And I, I'm like, my God, this is dark. <laughs> I'd forgotten how dark it was. I mean, so much so that when I teach classes now and I talk about, you know, writing taboo subjects, um, and I talk about rape scenes, I actually tell my students that I, I haven't written one because I'd totally forgotten <laughs> about the, the very brutal rape scene that's in this story. Because um, I think either it's been so long or I've just blocked it out because it's, it's just a hard thing to witness. But, um, you know, my protagonist, Trevor, is, is going through some weird stuff. and uh, In the outskirts, he's trying to hide. But then he decides that, you know, he wants to kind of... He's tired of being in this situation, and he knows he can't get out, so he's going to kind of try and figure a way to kind of get out the best way he can. So, obviously, there's some sacrifice there and some choices to be made, and then in the end, it, I mean, it kind of leaves it open to your interpretation of what you think happens next, I guess. Awesome. Um, so, I think there's a couple things to talk about in there. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about the brutality that's definitely something that we're going to get to um but i had a question because you brought up the word and i wanted to see this was something that i struggled with and i read it um right. and you may have have heard in the in the review but was the idea of was this a redemption tale or was this like a guy who was you know resigned to getting what was coming to him and i and when i read it i feel like i thought it was intended to be more of a redemption tale but Right. Then at the end, having discussed it, I realized maybe I was I was seeing it wrong. So, did you have an idea when you were writing it, or was that intentionally something that you left up to the reader? I I think because I'm I'm very aware of kind of the classic dramatic tragic structure of you know conflict and resolution that I think initially I did want some sort of redemption for Trevor that I did want him to be kind of forgiven, but I think you are right that in the end. It's not so much the redemption as it is kind of owning what he did and kind of surrendering, but in a, in a way to kind of sacrifice in order to save somebody else, you know, who I don't want to reveal the ending, um, <laughs> that, that he's kind of, he, you know, he's done some bad things. And he knows that there's really, there really, I mean, even when he's, that scene where he's talking to the boss towards the end, um, he knows there's no getting out of it. He comes in very humble and knowing that, like, this is it, you know, and that it, he's going to try and and lay all of his cards on the table, and that maybe there'll be some forgiveness, but probably not. And that's kind of where the title comes in, too, Golden Geese. It gives a little bit of a hint, you know, I, with, the, with the fable about the golden goose is that, you know, 
the idea is you don't want to kill the golden goose. If you cut it open and get more golden eggs thinking there's gold inside, all you're doing is killing the creature that makes the golden eggs, and there's nothing inside but, you know, a goose and blood and guts, right? So it, just in the title there alone, it hints at the fact that maybe he, you know, maybe he makes it through the end. Maybe he, maybe they find a way to utilize him and he doesn't entirely disappear. I don't know. I mean, it, it leaves it kind of open. But, yeah, I don't think it, it, I think maybe it started off as a redemption tale, but doesn't quite get there. So I think you're correct in that assumption. But that being said, I think that that reflects probably what would be a very realistic outcome. So right. um, in that case, yeah, it was good. It was just, I think that in my mind, I was so locked into wanting it to be a redemption tale that like, yeah. then I threw, yeah, I got thrown off with the ending, but yeah, cool. And what's funny is that I just, I was just flipping through the books. I just wanted to kind of familiarize myself with everybody's stories and, and even my own stuff. I'm like, what the hell's the name of my guy? <laughs> I can't remember my own protagonist. Um, and I read all the last pages of each of the stories and it's interesting because they all have kind of similar endings. And they're all dealing with kind of similar. I mean, every you know classic conflict should have a resolution, but um, it was interesting to read about these these families and these relationships. And uh, a lot of these, a lot of the stories were redemption stories. So I, I don't think you were necessarily you know far off. I think maybe just with that last little bit there, it leaves it open to you know maybe maybe he doesn't redeem much of anything. <laughs> sure. Maybe, maybe he just gets what's coming to him. You know. <laughs> And I was self-conscious because I know I've been harsh on, I was harsh on um, disintegration. So I didn't want you to think that I was like, <laughs> I didn't, I don't want you to believe that I only have criticism for you. So I was like, oh man, now I have to apologize. And, and, and you know, but no, so no, you no, got no, it. No, though, hey. yeah. <laughs> no man, every, no, every reader, every reader is going to get their own experience out of, you know, that's what I write, but what people write. And so, you know, whatever it is to you, it's, it's yours, man. So I don't, I understand. Oh, that's why. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the title because Rob had explained to me, like I read the title and then I read the story and then Rob talked yeah. about the title and how fitting it was. And we talked about it actually off the podcast right. a little bit. Yours is the only title. Well, first of all, the only title Rob could pronounce. Second, <laughs> exactly. the Ouch, only dude. title that he was actually like, this, this, this title is great, you know? So, Dude, it's a killer. Uh, it's a killer title. Yeah. Like, yep. it, yeah, it is. It really is. Well, originally we just called them basically wherever they were. So my my story was just the outskirts for a million years, and then we decided because it was going to be four corners, as you know, and so we had all these things kind of locked in, and we kind of tweaked it. So I mean, it's a clue there, but I think if if you know the fable, it, I think it's the first hint of what is what the story is about and what what's coming. But if you don't know the fable, you know, it, I don't think it's mandatory that you you, you understand what's coming because. Hopefully, you know, if I do my job, you'll you'll get there in the end. Right. The story doesn't suffer. So, from I think that. I think if anything, yeah, if anything, I think it's a little hint at the outcome. If you go into the ending thinking, you know, it's not going to be good, there, the title should give you maybe maybe a hint of what could possibly be a more positive outcome. But and what's interesting, if we did kind of flip the stories around originally, Axel was going to be before mine. I was, was going to end with mine, and then we thought that his was kind of um, not only seasonally a better season that he would do. Um, he's winter. I forget. He, I think he's winter. Or am I winter? He's spring. You're God, spring. I don't know. <laughs> I'm spring. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so that would make him makes him summer. Yeah, because his his was I think the most optimistic, right? The most hopeful. So that made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> take it as you will. 
All right. So your story was by far the most violent and um, and nasty nastiest in this book, as you'd kind of hinted to a little bit earlier, talking about a, a rape scene and stuff. Yeah. You know, here's all things. Like I was like, of course it was on purpose. You wrote it, but did you purposely write it to be a very nasty tale? And and secondly, were you surprised? You know, when you got around to reading the other ones, that yours really kind of stood out as the violent, nasty story. Um, it's interesting because, like, like I said, this was five years ago. So when I look at myself as a writer, being what almost eight, nine years into my career, this was pretty early in my career. So, I mean, I think I don't want to say that I was making a lot of mistakes then, but I, I think I was maybe relying on certain crutches more than others back. Back then, um, it's definitely violent. And when I was rereading this with with, uh, with a guy, I mean, we actually cut back a little bit in a few places, believe it or not. Um, I remember Nick's having some pretty violent boxing scenes. Uh, I think one, one of the strengths of his story is his boxing scenes, his fighting scenes are always really good. Um, him and Craig Davidson. I mean, I, so there was some, some pretty violent stuff in there. Um, I think Axel's is definitely more emotional. I don't remember Caleb's being... Um, that violent. I remember. I remember having bits of humor in it, but I mean, it's a you know, all, all the stories are dark. But um, in revisiting it, yeah, I do. I do consciously remember thinking, "Man, this is this is a this is a pretty messed up story." Um, I think you know we were all looking to kind of do our voices at that time, and to do four different seasons. So I think if we if we all were a little bit different, different flavors, different sensory. Um, different moments, different intensities. I think that's okay because it's kind of a. Uh, I think I like having that variety in the collection. But then again, when I look at things and I reread, when I actually went back and reread through the whole thing, there's a lot of similarities in there. It's like it really does. I think I think it's pretty coherent as a novel. It's not jarringly different from one voice to the next. I mean, I was just reading Nick's, and Nick and I have always been pretty similar in our voices. And I was like, this this goes pretty well from him to me, and then from mine into Axel's. And I'm like, it doesn't really skip a beat. I'm like, we're not that far off. But I, yeah, it's it's um, it's a pretty violent story. I I'd like to think that I've I don't want to even say evolved, but <clears throat> I'm not nearly as violent anymore. I don't think with my work, I try and pick and choose my moments. If I'm going to be violent, it's there for a reason. Um, and I think um, when I got my MFA, I studied with a Pulitzer-nominated author. And when when I wrote for him, he made me take away some of my crutches. So he made me, he said nobody could die. In any of my short stories, he had me dial back on the sex, and he said no twist endings. So he really took away a lot of my crutches. That was I graduated in 2012 with that. So 2009 to 2012 would be about the same time, I think, right? Um, so I think I was just learning at that time to kind of use all the, all the tools on my belt. And, um, I mean, I, I like, I think the story for what it is, I think needs to be what it is because I think you have to understand how, how devastated Trevor is, how, how destroyed he is by everything he's seen. And I try and roll it out bit by bit, including the first opening scene at the bar with his friend. And what the juice does to him, and it's like you're like, oh man, you're like you had to do that. And I was like, shit, I know that this guy who's his buddy, and now you know it's it's just tragedy. So I think it has to be that way because you have to see how this man becomes fractured. You have to believe that the things that we see on the page are upsetting and distressing, and that it it does to him, you know, these things. It it, it destroys him really as a human being. So that by the end, he's just like, you know what, I can't take anymore. I'm I'm done. I'm out. 
so something that I think that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about in the review, but was probably one of my one of the parts of the story that I really enjoyed the most, um, and almost acts as I, I see it almost as a contrast to the violent parts would be the the Ruby story. Yeah. And because, like, that's that's a real moment of tenderness and caring and, like, loss and all that stuff. Not loss, but, like, you know, um, you know, whatever you grieving in the face of tragedy, that type of thing. So um, was that put in the story specifically to contrast the violence? Because I think it did a great job of that. I mean, it's just a great I think it's probably one of the strongest parts of the story overall Thank was you. was the whole Ruby thing. <laughs> Um, but I don't think we spent a lot of time talking about it. So what? how did that come about? Thanks. No, I really appreciate that. That was definitely on purpose. Um, when I was writing the first part of Disintegration in my MFA, like I would work with my professor, uh, di- a different professor, uh, and we would. Go- I'd turn in these packets, and she'd be like, hey, we just had like a sex scene. Let's not have one for a couple of chapters. Or we just did this. Let's do the opposite. So I think when I was writing this, and as I'm going through my MFA, I was thinking to myself, you know, it can't all be one note. It can't all be dark. It can't all be bleak, because eventually, I mean, that's, I think that's why I don't like a lot of the like the the horror porn, because it's just you know after a while you just become numb to it, right? So I consciously did want to try and balance. It. I think that's why I tried to have some quiet moments of introspection with him, and then Ruby, it's like you know he doesn't really have anybody else, and there's there's very few women in his life. Um, so that scene, he risks going into the city to see her, but they have obviously had a relationship in the past, and he cares for her, but it's kind of a weird relationship because, you know, she's a prostitute, but she's also kind of this mother figure, but, she, but I mean, obviously they're having sex, um, but I, at the, she's also been, you know, scarred, you know, literally and figuratively by things that have happened um, possibly, I think, at, at his hand, but his mistakes have led to some of these things. So um, I wanted to have that kind of quiet moment where you see that he's not inhuman, right? I mean, that he's still, I think with all my characters, they they want to be loved. They want to be seen. They want to mean something to somebody. And sometimes you cling on to whatever, you know, port you can in a storm. And with Ruby, she's obviously, you know, She's a certain flavor. I mean, she's a fetish, but she's very sweet and very loving. Um, and it, it's, I, I didn't want uh, – a lot of times we, we cast these characters in our stories, and they're kind of cliche. I didn't want her to be a cliche prostitute or hooker. I mean, I, I, hopefully she's not just like kind of the hooker with a heart of gold kind of thing either. I wanted to kind of balance it out because, you know, she's obviously – you know, she has some weirdness going on with her with the, the metal <laughs> fingertips and stuff. Um, but she's, she's a, she's a sweetheart, you know, and that quiet moment they have together, he's willing to go into the city to make this gesture to her because he knows that things are coming to an end and he wants to see her one last time. So, um, yeah, yeah. I tried to, I tried to pick some moments and, and try to put in some little quiet, calm, uh, moments where you could take a breath and, and breathe a little bit and relax and then, and then come back at his darkness, um, so that it would have some balance and, you know, not be just over the head with a hammer all the time. But thanks for noting. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, it seems from talking to the other writers that you may have hand uh, had a I don't know a bigger hand maybe in the crossovers um, that took place. There are definitely more I think in your story than in any other ones, and it kind of seemed in talking to the other writers that maybe you were a little bit of the 
uh, the head of the commission on crossovers. Um, well, tell us, tell us about yeah, the tell us yeah. about that process in general. Yeah, I well, I, I think this all started out with this project at, at the Velvet, and 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 Palo was helping us with it, and it kind of had we had kind of a plot at one point, and then it kind of went away, and so we had some kind of some some continuity between all the stories, certain things that we knew were going to be the base. It wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot that we kind of set up as a, these are the ground rules. You know, the thing about organ trading was in there. Um, the juice came about through my story. And that's kind of one of those things that as we were writing and sharing our stories, you'd be like, well, oh, shoot. Well, if, you know, juice is a big deal in Richard's story. It has to be in the other stories. And I think because a lot of our stories dealt with, you know, kind of dark, seedy places, that of course you'd find the juice there, right? Um, some of the political stuff that happened in, in Caleb's not so much in the outskirts, right? Um, I think I, I know that I purposely wanted to. So with the juice, that's how that came about. That just kind of was one of those things that, as we we're talking about it, I'm like, well, it has to be. If it's in Richard's scene, it's a big deal. Then it has to be in every bar, or it has to be. People have to know of it. You know, it has to be on the radar of all these, you know, underground club kids, you know, druggies and mafia types. Um, <clears throat> the only thing that I per- that I remember asking the guys to squeeze into their stories was that meteor part because I kept thinking, well, if this is a big deal and it happens and it's a big part of my story. I asked them if they could each just put in a moment. It could just be one sentence where their each of their protagonists, you know, saw something in the sky, how you work it in, what they saw, how much attention you give it, you know, one sentence, a paragraph, whatever. I left it up to them. So that was the only thing I really kind of asked if they would work into it. Um, I know that my character, uh, Axel, my protagonist and Axel's protagonist run into each other. I can't remember how that came about, if it was, you know, purposely. I, I think I was just, you know, my guy's hopping on the train heading to the city, and, I, and, and looking at Axel's stuff, I'm like, man, what if they crossed paths? I'm like, that would be kind of weird. <laughs> and so they did cross paths, and then, I think you talked about it in the last podcast, but, you know, I had him as <clears throat> kind of emaciated, but he was actually kind of doughy, and so I had to flip that and change it up because I wasn't accurate. Um, and then Nick's story with, with the fight and his protagonist, you know, ending with his, then picking up in mine, um, carrying over. Um, I mean, I, I love the idea of kind of these, you know, shadows passing, these ships passing the night kind of thing. Because I figured in this, in the city, with capital T, capital C, in the city, um, I figured people would cross paths. And if they're running in similar circles, they would, they would see each other now and then. Um, <clears throat> with Nick's... It was a little different because I remember when I when I, I wanted to write about his character and I went to him and like asked him permission. <laughs> I was like asking <clears throat> asking for his daughter's hand in marriage um, because I didn't want to screw it up and I didn't want to. If he didn't want me to do it, I wasn't going to do it. So I asked him. I said, "Hey, what if I have this little bit about your guy? I want to the way the scene ends and I think at the same." tavern where where trevor hangs out with the slaughtered lamb i think it was called um and so i said well hey would would this happen uh, i remember specifically asking if his character would ever cry like i had him crying and nick's like that would never happen that you know and so i'm like okay i'll cut that i'm like what about this what about that and so i i i mean first of all i, I made sure that he was okay with it and then i made sure it was accurate enough that he was okay with what i did because i i do understand that these are our, you know, our babies. These are our creations, and if and if it bothered Nick or if he didn't like what I was doing, I wasn't going to do it. But um, I mean, we, I think we all were conscious of, of trying to do of connecting whenever we could. 
Um, you know, if we pass through different neighborhoods where they're the same, um, we try and cross over and, and mention things. But um, I don't know. I think, I think it was more a sense of opportunity uh, when it popped up. You know, we tried to take advantage of it. And then there was definitely a couple of things in, in my story that happened to pop up that became dominant, like the juice that, you know, we felt like, well, this has to be in each story because it, it, it's just part of the culture. Yeah. It'll be interesting now once we get all of the interviews done and posted um, <laughs> to see the continuity, um, the the lack. The, if there's if there is like everybody's perspective is the same or if it's different. So yeah, um, it'll be fun to see. Like I don't remember it that way. Uh, <laughs> um, I know. I was listening to Nick talk about it, and I was like, oh, he sounds a little pissed. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm like, I know I asked him for permission, right? <laughs> This is like um, this series of interviews like ends uh, years long relationships uh, friend, friend, friendships. That's weird. I just noticed I'm not friends with Nick on Facebook. Um, and no, so I, I remember him saying that it was jarring to him, and I and I think I think that's okay. I mean, because I I, I was just looking at Axel's story, and he was mentioning my character, and I was like, ah, oh, it is a little weird. It is a little weird to see somebody else building a world and, and working with your characters, with your people. Yeah. I mean, these are kind of your friends or, well, not your friends, but they're, they're real. They're real in my mind, you know, especially your protagonist. So I, I can understand, you know, especially the way that his story ended. Yeah. Such a powerful ending. And I, and I think he's like, that's it. You know, I don't want to, I'm done. <laughs> this is where it ends. So I think in some ways carrying it on, you know, like maybe he didn't want to know what happened next. So I think, you know, in a sense, him reading that in my, my story, maybe it was just more than he really wanted to see because it's, you know, it's not, it's not happy, you know? Yeah. It's definitely a unique, you don't run across a book that, that has people meddling with like such major characters and other people's I, stories. You so it's... meddling writers. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, I just want another record that I did ask for his permission and got it. He he signed off on it, so he's like, I can produce the email where <laughs> <laughs> Nick's my guy. I, I would never uh, screw over his character like that without permission. Right? Without permission, first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. So here comes the gun to the head question. All right. Um, your favorite story in the book? Yeah, I know. I was listening. To, I was thinking about it when I listened to the other podcast. Um. I think I, in picking my favorite, I think it definitely is more of a, a stylistic choice on on my end. Um, so I think I'm definitely drawn to Nick and Axel more than like Caleb's, be, not because they're better, but because stylistically they're more of what I enjoy. I just went back when we were editing the whole thing. I read them all. And I'm, I'm like, damn, I forgot how good Caleb is. Because, you know, he's kind of backed off his writing a bit and um, I mean, God, back at the Velvet and Wright Club, I mean, I, I love reading his stories. So, I mean, he's a, he's a very gifted writer. Um, it, between Nick and Axel, it's tough because they're two very different stories in my mind. Um, I mean, I, I think Nick has a bigger body of work. So, I'm, you know, I guess I'm a bigger fan in the sense that I've read more of his work. Um, you know, I published a story of Axel's in Exigencies, and I've read a couple other things. You know, he had, he had a story in, in, book, in book anthology, right? You know it, sir. Yeah, and yeah, I think he had one in Warmed and Bound too. If memory serves me correctly. Um, yeah, like, he started out the book yeah. that Juggler story. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, I, I love his stuff. So it's it's hard to say. I think I think Nick is so talented, and he's like you know farther along in his career than than Axel is. But Axel's story, man, the emotion in that story. It's kind of like do you want to be punched in the face, or do you want to like curl up in a ball in the corner and cry? Um, 
you know, and I don't really want either, but um, I, I don't know. It's a coin flip between Axles and, and Nick. If you know, gun to my head, I'd probably pick Nick just because I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan of his writing. But I mean, I, I love them both. So it's a tough call. I have to give you major credit because you're the only author that didn't even jokingly mention their <laughs> own story. So, um, uh, there's, there's, so we know where all the ego lies in this book. <laughs> See, and you thought it was me. I, <laughs> I, I will tell you, when we, when we, when we put this together, I mean, there's, there's that weird, you know, you're like, okay, everybody's got to carry their weight, right? Um, and you're just hoping and praying that everybody finds that. I mean, a novella is nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of writing. You know, I think we were all worried, well, are we going to be really different? Is it going to be really fragmented and disconnected? You know, what if somebody writes a story and it just sucks? You know, what are we going to do about this stuff? I think everybody's story is fantastic. Um, and I, and I, I love what we did as a collective, and I love each story individually. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, if I, I don't even know where I'd rank mine, probably third or fourth. So, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even put it first. Um, I, I agree. Uh, not not what we said at the end there. Um, but yeah, I mean, as we mentioned in the in the in the review, and that was you know now two episodes ago. So as a refresher, yeah, this all worked together really really well. And and um, uh, I, I don't know how much of that was you know editing at the end or if it just you know kind of came together on its own that way. But either way, you guys did a did a fantastic job with it. Thank you, thank you. It, it, you know, it was it was tough, and we definitely I think in the beginning we're like, oh my god, how's this going to work? Um, I, luckily I think, you know, we're all good friends, but thank, I'm, I'm glad you guys liked it. I, I mean, I, I know the other guys, you know, busted their asses to, to do good work and I think we're all pretty happy with it and happy to get it out here and, you know, thrilled that Dezank is backing it and hope people enjoy it. I'm going to read this question, this next question, just the way that, that I wrote it. And this is almost a, a test for, for a future interview thing we're thinking about doing. So you're going to be a guinea pig here a little bit. So. Okay. So, so, Gambit. Yes. That's the question. One word, we're one word start, prompt. Yeah, one word prompts is what we're calling it. We throw a word out and then you just react. <laughs> uh, it means a wide range or the full range, um, often attributed to emotions, at least in my mind. Um, yeah, Gambit. Uh, it's been keeping me very busy. Um, obviously, this is, you know, for those who don't know, it's yeah, I'll do I'll do your work for you here. Um, it's <laughs> it's a new online magazine that I'm launching next year, January first of 2017. Um, we had a success, successful Kickstarter a couple months ago. We raised a, a little over fifty five thousand dollars to launch this, and I've been you know busting my butt for the last couple of months trying to put it all together. So we've been putting out all the rewards I've been, you know, I had to incorporate, you know, develop contracts, you know, I'm signing authors, I'm getting reprints and trying to get new stories, getting new stories, getting the website design, getting the artwork in, um, oh God, a million different things. We just got in the postcards today for the postcard reward. I just got in like business cards, promotional cards that we're going to use for the entire staff. Um, it's crazy, but, um, I'm really excited about it. We're hoping to, we're hoping to do a soft launch or a sneak peek of the website on August 1st of this year. So coming up soon, because I wanted people to be able to take a look at it and there'll be some sample stories. You'll be able to see some of it. You won't be able to log in if you're, if you, if you backed it and you have a subscription. Um, but people will be able to see the different sections in there, read some stories, get a sense of it. Um, and then we'll be kind of open for business as far as, you know, people that want to sign up, 
people that want to take advantage of our editing services or other things. Um, and so that will be popping up hopefully August 1st. I'm really close to having that part done. Because I, I can't do websites, so it's really hard for me, so I had to hire somebody to do it. Um, and it's a lot of, it's not just the look of it, it's all the stuff behind the scenes, you know, how do you set it up for, you know, a button through PayPal, how do you set up, you know, a newsletter, I have to do the newsletter, and then how do you link that to a, a, a place where you sign in and do, like, I, all this stuff is, you don't even see behind the scenes. And then we're hoping to open the doors to submissions on August 1st as well. People are dying to send us stories and we're dying to read them. Um, well, it's, it, the focus is going to be kind of the same thing we've been talking about all night, kind of neo-noir speculative fiction with a literary bent. Um, similar to if you've read any of the anthologies I've edited, uh, The New Black, Exigencies, Burnt Tongues, and the lineup, 20 Provocative Women Writers, those are kind of a, a good indication of what we're going to be publishing or the books I published at Dark House Press or my writing. Um, and one of the cool things we're doing is that we're paying 10 cents a word for original fiction, which is double the current professional standard. Um, there aren't that many places that pay more than five or six cents a word. I think Tor was one of the few at 25 cents, and they've recently closed their door to unsolicited submissions. And then we're paying three cents a word for um, for reprints, and then we're doing uh, poetry, and we're doing nonfiction, and we're going to have columnists, um, and just a lot of content. And then beyond that, if you believe it or not, there's more. We're also going to be we're trying to work with um, the Music Box Theater in Chicago to do some film events. And we're looking to do our first one at the end of October. Um, I can't I couldn't get Blade Runner because they've they've since backed off on letting people use it because with an, with Blade Runner two coming out, um, they're not letting people show Blade Runner one anywhere right now. The estate has the rights back and they're holding it. Now that, that would have been my first choice, but I think we're going to do Under the Skin. Um, a movie that really has stuck with me that I've seen recently. I think it's a really great movie for on on the big screen. <clears throat> and then if that works well, this event, you know, partnering with the, mu the Music Box, which, which is a beautiful theater in Chicago. It's really cool, um, kind of an old, uh, just kind of eccentric theater. If that works well, we're going to try and partner with them and do this once a month in 2017. And then if that works well, we're going to try and roll out that program to other cities around the U.S., um, probably starting with wherever we have staff members. So, you know, L.A., Vegas, um, and then probably looking at New York City, St. Louis, Austin, Portland, places like that. So that's Gamut. <laughs> well, I would say that was a successful test for one word prompts. <laughs> or or just, just me babbling for 10 minutes. <laughs> hey, so um, I don't even know, like $55,000. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm aware of it. I was a backer. I mean, you know, but <laughs> I, you know, all I kept thinking during while, while you were doing this was that a, it's a really lofty goal. <laughs> well, that it was a really lofty goal, but I kept thinking as, you know, as kind of, you know, content creators ourselves, like how stressful that must've been for you for that. It ran for a month. Is that correct? Yeah. The Kickstarter. Yeah. 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 That, that must've been one hell of a stressful month, and I'm not talking about just like communicating with people and like trying to come up with with new perks and stuff like that but just that that the, the how often i would be hitting the refresh button on my kickstarter page or, or however it is that you do you know what i mean like yeah yeah I, i'm no, guessing I, you check 20 30 times a day is that is that close <laughs> yeah. it was it was insane Livius. it really was it was nuts i mean and i was putting in like 10 12 14 hour days um 
and and trying not to be a total ass on social media. You know, I, I, I couldn't post up, you know, 30 times a day. I'm like, I'm trying to post up like three times, you know, trying to hit it morning, noon and night, Facebook, then or stay off Facebook, go onto Twitter. Um, I was con- they had all these all this analytics behind the scenes at Kickstarter where you could see everything. And, you know, we raised like over six grand the first day, which was a, a nice spike. Um, and then it would you could go to another website where it would project whether you're going to make your goal or not. And for a long time, we were doing really good. And then it started slowing down. We kind of plateaued. And I'm like, oh, shit, we're not going to make it. Um, it, was, it was stressful. It was stressful every day. It was a really weird mix because – and I knew this was going to happen. People told me this was going to happen. And I, it still was emotional for me that a lot of people that I thought were going to jump in and back it didn't. And a lot of people I thought were going to do more didn't do anything. But another side of that coin, there were a lot of people who I didn't anticipate doing anything who stepped in and were huge. Not uh, not just, you know, people, for some people it was spreading the word. They were hitting their social media every day for me and just really passionate about it. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, and then other people who were like, you know, here's $100, here's 500 you know what, here's 1000 here's 2000 here's 3000 You know, people just who were like, just wanted to make sure that we made our goal. And I would ask these people, I'm like, well, my God, that's, you know, thank you. That's so generous. And, um, you know, what can I, what do you, what do you, what can I do for you? What do you want in return? I like, I don't, I want, thank you. And they, and most of the time they were like, just make it happen. And so that made me feel really, really good about what I was doing, that there was a demand for it. Um, you know, and then other people who were, couldn't, that were very generous about donating books, um, you know, Michael Bailey was very generous about donating books. You know, other this is horror. A lot of different people jumped in. And were like, here, I'll, I'll I'll give you you know twenty books or whatever you want. Just just I don't even I don't want anything in return. Um, Medallion jumped in and donated a bunch of books. You know, including Burnt Tongues and um, so it was it was this really crazy roller coaster ride that you know like one day. I mean, <laughs> not just across the days, but within the same day. You know, I'd be like really depressed, climb back into bed under the sheets. You know crying you know and then i'd be like next thing i know i'm laughing and then inspired by somebody who did something amazing it was it was it was crazy um and as we were getting closer to the end i kept thinking oh we're not gonna make it we're not gonna make it we're not gonna make it i'm like calling my mom (laughs) i'm like like she put in like a thousand dollars and i'm like so you know if we need it would you like you know jump in for a little more um and and uh several people reached out and were like you know if you need help getting across the finish line um, let me know. And I think in the end, that's what's really cool is that, I mean, we had over 800 backers, 804 backers, the majority of which were just getting a subscription. So that made me feel, I mean, and all, not just across the United States, but but around the world. I mean, we, I think our, obviously the United States was our biggest country backing us by a, a long shot. But I mean, we had a lot of people in, in the UK, in London, we had a lot of people in Australia. And then we had people, I mean, I, I forget what it was, 30 different countries, 60 different countries. I mean, uh, it's nuts, you know, 10 people in Germany, you know, 10 people in Japan. And I'm like, I don't like, where are these people coming from? Like, I know I don't know all 800 of these people. <laughs> so I think in the end, while it was insane, um, I'm just really glad that we made it because I mean, if we would have fallen short or, you know, just done a terrible job, you know, raised like $300, I, I don't know what I would have done. But I mean, in the beginning, in the beginning, I, I mean, I really kind of stuck my neck out here because I, I really had no idea how people were going to react. I didn't know if we were going to raise five hundred or fifty thousand, and or somewhere in between. I really had no idea. So, while it was insane and it was uh, exhausting, um, it was also pretty exciting and pretty, you know, 
pretty inspiring too. But it was nuts for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can um I can agree with you on the whole like not necessarily being disappointed that the people you were expecting to come to to contribute didn't, but like the idea that like your audience is so unpredictable. So like right. you, you may think, oh man, these people are just a given that they're down for what I'm doing. And for whatever reason, those people don't show up, but it's entirely separate people. Like in the five years we've been doing the podcast, you know, we think, oh, people like this, let's do this. And and it just doesn't do anything. And then something completely random that I cannot attribute, you know, I can't find the value that people found. That's just like wildly popular. So yeah. that's got to be something that's really frustrating is like, can you don't you can't control who you know who is enthusiastic you just have to try and like stoke those fires like i guess as much as you can right yeah yeah and i and you know that i mean i guess that's part of the excitement was that i i never knew where the next backer was going to come from especially the bigger backers um or or what person was going to go on twitter and just like tweet all day it's like i never knew what was going to happen so i mean it was pretty pretty exciting and pretty pretty weird pretty interesting um, I don't know. I guess it's interesting because I, I felt like at times I kind of lost faith in, in humanity, but at other times I, I was totally restored. And, you know, so I think in the end it balanced out. So you brought up something that um, gave me a thought. Uh, this is something that is subscription. Well, OK, so it's going to be an ongoing website and you're paying uh, pretty good rates to the writers and stuff like that yeah um and you've got the kickstarter was this is to get it off the ground so i have to imagine that your fundraising is something that is going to be you're never taking your foot off the gas right so um are you already kind of looking at how do i support year two yes definitely definitely because i'm not gonna do another kickstarter um, I can't, I can't come back to that well because, I, but not only because I said I wasn't going to, but you know, people are gonna, they're not gonna appreciate that. So, part of I, I, what I've tried to set up, Rob and Livy, is, is uh, several different buckets. You know, seven. I'm trying to set up as many different revenue streams as, as I can because, you know, it's like if you open a bookstore, if you just sell books, you might have trouble. You know, because it's hard to get people to come in and spend full price. Yep. You know, where, where it's like. When you go to a bar, where they make their money, they make their money on the, the liquor. They mark up a thousand percent, right? Um, but in a bookstore, sometimes you make your money on things besides the books. So one of the buckets is our is our base of, of subscribers. So we have over 800 people. If the majority of them renew, and one of the incentives to renew is that if you renew at $30, you can renew indefinitely at that price rate. Your price will never go up. So you got in. You helped us make this happen. You get this. 50% off rate forever. So I'm hoping that the majority of people will, will renew. So if we get those 800 people to renew, you know, that's 24 grand right there. Now, I, I will probably lose some people on the way, I'm sure. But then I'm also hoping that we get new subscribers. You know, I don't plan on stopping at 800. You know, I want to hit 1,000. I want to hit 1,500 or 2,000. You want to keep growing so that um, I'm hoping that as it launches and people are talking about it, that it's going to drive people crazy that they can't read the work. They go, oh, man, yeah, I definitely want to read that new Ben Benjamin Percy story. I want to read that new Brian Evanson story. Let me, boop, 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 boop. Let me go over there. Oh, I can't. I have to subscribe? Uh, 60 bucks a year? Oh, that's a lot of money. Wait, how much is that? $5 a month? 
Nice bucket I'm in. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping happens, you know, is that people are going to want to get in and that they, they see value in what we're offering um, and that they're they're going to hang out, hang around and stick around and make it happen and, and be a part of it. The other, you know, buckets, you know, one of them is are these, these film events we're going to be doing, you know, partnering with the Music Box Theater. Um, you know, we would basically split the house with them. So I don't... And, anticipate us selling out but you know if we could you know make a couple grand each time we have an event there you know let's say it's just a grand that's if we have an event every month 12 grand a year goes a long way towards you know covering our costs for the year and then we're also going to be offering editing services at gamut i haven't really talked about this because i was going to wait until we launched the website but we've got a, a, a group of editors who are a part of gamut either they're writers for publishing or the people i know that are editors um and we will edit work for you, and part of what the editors get comes back to Gamut um, to help keep us going. So that kind of stuff. We'll probably we're gonna sell some swag online, you know, coffee mugs and things like that, and prints of the artwork and stuff. And um, I don't expect to make a whole lot from that, but um, because we're doing original illustrations for every story, not just the new stories, but the reprints. That's 104 illustrations every year. So you know, I'm. What I'm going to try and figure out what are the most popular, which is uh, the ones that make the most sense for us to do. But I've already set it up with our, with our masthead art that you can get it on just about everything. So, you know, coffee mugs and prints and, you know, cell phone cases and all that crap. I mean, I don't know if anybody wants any of that. <laughs> but I, I, I'm working with this website, Society6, and it's really easy. Once I got it all set up that, you know, we make a little bit on, on, on each thing, and then once it's set up, you don't have to do anything with it. It's all It runs by itself. But um, I think the art is really compelling. It's a big part of what we're doing at Gamut. All these original illustrations by Luke Spooner. That if you love something and you want to put it on a coffee mug or you want to get a, a nice print of it, you know, whether you're spending 5 bucks or 20 bucks or 100 bucks, you know, I want to help you do that. I mean, I know it's, it's kind of, it's almost backwards because I'm like, we haven't done anything yet. You know, who gives a crap about Gamut? Um, but hopefully through the Kickstarter and all this stuff we've been generating, all this hype and all this build up and all these little things we've been kind of giving you sneak peeks of that, that you're excited about it. And, you know, maybe you want a coffee mug, you know, I don't know. So I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out as many different ways as I can to, to bring in money so that we can keep going. That I'm not just reliant on subscriptions. All right. Well, sounds like you got, <laughs> you definitely have been thinking about this. That's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> Probably been... obsessing or, or something about it. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so I know there's not necessarily a website in place yet, but do you have the, the new home? What, what what will the website URL be? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if I can give it to you. <laughs> oh, you don't you I you probably don't have anything up on there yet, right? No, I'm not mean, like a like a placeholder or anything. Well, I do have a top secret place where things are going on, but I, I can't. <laughs> All right, all right, fair enough. But you know, I, I can give you our website because it's, it's, it doesn't take you to anywhere. But it, it, but it will be gamut dot online. So it's going to be a weird kind of. Um, it's not going to be dot com or dot net or or dot org. It's going to be gamut dot online, which is a weird prefix. I didn't, even, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't either. But I, when I was looking through like a GoDaddy, all the different things you could do with it, and we're trying to talk about all these different names, you know, it's like. Well, Gamut or Gamut Mag or Gamut Rag or Gamut Magazine or Gamut Online, all these different things. I'm like, oh, my God, it has to be short, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, it's an online magazine. Why isn't it just Gamut.online? 
I'm like, I know nobody's doing it. It's kind of weird, but I'm like, well, shit, we're doing all these good things. Why don't we just do that too? So, it's, so I, I kept going to gamut.xxx and it just wasn't <laughs> what I was expecting. So it's just a picture of a guy in a leather jacket carrying a briefcase. <laughs> Oh no! Uh, you found it. You found it. That's, uh, that's for our premium members. Only. <laughs> that's that's really where the premium stuff that's, there. Yeah, that's the main rev. That's that could be a, a good that's revenue. The main stream. revenue generator. Yeah, yeah, I know the the, the dinosaur porn. Yeah, <laughs> special <laughs> portal. Like so, your your authors your, and editors' live webcams show up on oh, there. God. No, no, <laughs> that wouldn't be very exciting. We oh. just gave you a great idea for additional revenue. No, it's free. I, I, free I, advice, right there, buddy. Yeah. Like, so, my my um, staff, my staff is so awesome. Uh, we joke about these kinds of things behind the scenes all the time. <laughs> what can we put up? Well, what, what should the picture be? Like, how naked should we be? Like, what should we talk about? Like, I mean, they're just. Thank God for them that I'm not alone in this because I, I they keep me laughing. But so far, so good. We're getting there. We're getting there. I, I get the feeling that you may have answered this um this kind of final question. <laughs> We're going to assume Gamut's really the only thing you're working on right now. Is that, or are you still kind of writing? And uh, I wish. Um, no, I mean I'm I'm still writing. Um, I have I I haven't written. I think I've written two stories this year, but I haven't written much lately. Because I've been really busy, but um, I had two stories come out: one in uh, Chiral Man Three, uh, Stephen King and Jack Ketchum are in there, and then another story in Gutted Beautiful Horror Stories with Neil Gaiman and Clyde Barker. And both of those anthologies are just a, are really doing great. Uh, they're really cool. So many other authors, I can't even list them all, but it's just they're both just awesome. They're getting a lot of great attention. So I'm really I, those stories are are the I wrote them last year. Each of them are six thousand words long, which is long for me. I've only ever written one story that's longer, and that was Victimized, which I think was 7,000. Um, so I think those stories are some of my best work because I'm, I'm hopefully still evolving as a writer and getting better. Um, but I, I'm really proud of those stories that are in there. It's one of those weird things that like, you want to be, in, one, you want to be in, the, in an anthology with all these big names and all these great people, and then you get in there and you're like, oh, crap, I hope I'm not like the worst story in here. <laughs> now I have to compete with them within the same anthology every time there's a review. Um, but I'm really excited about those. Um, obviously, the Soul Standard coming out. Um, I had a collection of short story, the short story that just came out, Tribulations, that's with Crystal Lake and Cemetery Dance. And then beginning of the year, I had Breaker come out. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of teaching, too. So, you know, I actually just started a class today at Lit Reactor, a flash fiction class. And they've been really cool about giving me more work over there since the universities don't want to hire me. So I'm going to be teaching a class every other month there next year. So I'll be teaching my short story mechanics class, and then this flash fiction class, and then my uh, my editing class. Um, I also just taught a class. I went back to Iowa, University of Iowa, this summer to teach for a week, and then I I taught like a six week class at Story Studio Chicago online that we're probably going to roll out. You know, maybe once or twice a year. I might do that again in the fall slash winter. So I'm trying. It's trying. It's a balance of all these different things that. You know, Gamut's going to take a while before I'm putting much money in my pocket, personally. So until we kind of get over the hump and really kind of grow and evolve, you know, probably doubling in size of what we have now, um, and all these different things take off, all these different aspects of the business that, you know, I'm, st- I'm still writing and editing and teaching because um, I have to and because I want to. I really enjoy all these different aspects. 
Um, oh, God, in Dark House Press. Um, you know, we had uh, Paper Tigers come out earlier this year by, by Damien Angelica Walters. And then I'm really excited. Uh, a great book. Wonderful book. A really cool kind of haunted house uh, ghost story. And then uh, Steve Hammer has a book coming out in October called Scratch. That's just great. Um, if, you want a, if you want a copy and you don't have one, I'll, let me know. I'll get you one. Uh, it's kind of this rural urban legend. It's a rural legend. Um, it's just, he's a really powerful writer. I like a lot of his nature stuff reminds me of Ben Percy's stuff, but um, it's the Dark House Press stuff. So yeah, not much going on. You, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the stuff we'll have to give at some point. So I don't. Once, know, but, yeah. once a week we record a podcast. <laughs> yeah. You're really gonna have to start picking up the slack, Richard, because I, I mean it's just embarrassing. I know, I know, I'm really excited about this. And, and all, all I've been thinking about the whole time we're talking is like, we have to get together for wings and like watch a Cubs game or the Bears or something because we haven't hung out in a while. So yeah, it's been it's been quite a while. We'll have yeah. to we'll have to make it happen while the the weather is nice. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, yeah, I, I don't you know, know about sporting season, so you'll have to <laughs> cue me in on that. I know, I know, you guys don't care. I mean, the Cubs the Cubs are doing really well. You know, I'm a sucker for the Bears, but. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that, you know, Gamut turns into something amazing because that's really my main focus right now. And it's um, I've wanted to start a magazine or a website or an advertising agency or something for a long time. And um, this just felt like the right time to do it, you know, with the, several places folding and, and tour, closing their doors to unsolicited work. And, um, you know, I felt like it was the time to stick my neck out and see what happened and you know, if we hadn't gotten the funding, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing it, obviously, and it wouldn't be happening. So, um, because it, we did get there, you know, now I'm really excited that not only for the, that we got the money to make it happen, but that there was so much support out there, and that so many people stepped up to be a part of it. That's really exciting to me because it makes me feel like there's um, a demand for it. That people want to see this happen, um, and it makes me feel good about what I'm doing. You know, we all want to be validated and feel the work we're doing is you know has some substance to it. So. Um, I'm really excited about it and, and hope it you know hope everybody's happy with the website when it goes up. Well, when you're ready for a podcast, we will forward you our salary requirements <laughs> and um, yeah I, no, benefits don't, requirements. Don't joke! Don't joke about it. I, I'm like taking out my pen and writing it down right now. <laughs> plan, plan H, okay. <laughs> and um, we will vigorously sabotage any non-podcast that doesn't include us. So I'm just going to uh, I see. So I, yeah, I better, so. better sign you guys quickly then. That was an offer and a warning at the same okay, time. I, I like it. <laughs> That's how you roll. I like it. That's good. <laughs> uh, Richard, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to talk to us about Soul Standard and Gamut and really just catching up with uh, what's been going on with you. Thanks. Thank, thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. You know, you're such smart guys and you you read so much and you really support so many people that you know need the help and uh, i really appreciate it so thanks thanks livius thanks rob for for taking the time and for for supporting so many of these different ventures i'm involved with always a pleasure to talk to richard i I forget because we see him in person often enough how long it's been since he's been on the podcast because talking to him is you know we, we talk to him frequently enough it's just been a few months since we last hung out and had pizza with him yeah, I know. That's um, yeah. The the line gets blurred with some of these people that we actually spend time with. So I'm I'm with you, but I think I mean I can't remember last time we we reviewed his books and stuff. But it's been a while since we haven't actually heard his voice on the podcast. Oh, we like the warm and bound sessions. Oh God, I don't even want to think about how long ago that was. Uh, yep. All right. Next up, we have uh, the international edition of booked. We haven't done international in in a, in a long time. What was our who was our last international guest? It would have been. 
Someone with this is horror, I would imagine. Um, or Andres Bergen, Andy Bergen. Uh, God, is it that long ago? Wasn't that one really weird? Because didn't we do him and like Craig Walwork at the same time? Mm. It was on the same episode, I think. Yeah, that was where we, it was a three author episode. So there's definitely yeah, yeah it yeah. was a nightmare. It has been a while. <laughs> so uh, here's a little bit about Axel. Axel, I'm going to go with Hassan. Axel Hassan Tayari was born and raised in Paris, France. Publishing credits include Abyss and Apex, Fantasy Scroll, The Big Click, and others. His stories have also appeared in multiple anthologies, including Exigencies and Warmed and Bound and Booked Anthology. He is the co-author of The Soul Standard to be released by Dezank Books in 2016. Axel, thanks so much for coming back and joining us on Booked. It's been, I think, forever. Yeah, it's been a while, but thank you guys for having me once again. Yeah, um, always a pleasure. Um, we're going to start. So everyone else were kind of like, oh, tell us about your story. For you, where, 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 what country are you in currently? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in Denmark. I've been in Denmark for the past eight years now. Okay. Right. And I'll be here for a long while, uh, unless Denmark pulls a Brexit. Unless, unless extradition actually kicks in and yeah, unless the the far the extreme right wing uh, takes power, in which case I'll be out of here real quick. The the reason I ask is you know I, I see your posts on social media and you're like I'll be in France for a few days, blah blah blah, and then it occurred to me that in uh, in Europe, like going to like Denmark or Norway or France is kind of it sounds like really exciting to us, but. I, but <laughs> For you guys, it's like me saying, oh, I'm going to be in Wisconsin or Indiana, which does not sound at all. Like for there, it's like, you know, you go to another country for dinner, right? I mean, that's yeah, really exactly. I mean, yeah. So, we, you know, we have flights for, from Copenhagen to London for uh, 20 bucks round trip. Jesus so, <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I, I go to university in Sweden, which is just across the border. It's a 30 minute train ride. Yep. See, so, and that's. Yeah. Rob, that's what I'm saying, right? You're like, you're going to be in what? You're going to be somewhere in Indiana this weekend, right, Rob? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He goes, he goes to school in another country, <laughs> and it's it's a shorter trip than you going to Indiana, which does not sound like you know. You say Indiana, no one's like, oh, God, I wish I could be Rob. He just goes to Indiana <laughs> occasionally. So exciting, yeah. yeah. Well, so. Uh, What's the focus of this? Is it like look at how big and impressive America is, or I wish we were in a place where we could travel to different countries so easily? Um, I think more of the fact that we think it's really exotic <laughs> that they travel to different countries. Okay, I didn't but know if you were it's, like it's all, it's all it's all perception. It's just because our perception is like, wow, that sounds so cool, you know. And here it's I'm going to go up to Wisconsin to like watch a movie or something. <laughs> You don't know, though, like, Axel might be looking at our Facebook and being like, why can't I go to the Mars Cheese Castle? That's I, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I think that it's the little things about America that still amaze me. Like, last time I was in Denver, someone brought up something called the Cheesecake Factory, <laughs> which, <laughs> if it's, you know, if it's half as good as it sounds, I'm down. I'm, I'm, I mean, there's a reason you guys are the greatest country. You are we, number one. Yeah, we do try to lure you out here with our food. The gr <laughs> the grilled cheese sandwich was... I think we had you on the hook with the grilled cheese sandwich. I, I still haven't had one. I, I need one. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right. I hate to be the one to bring down all the exciting talk about cheese because Rob says cheese. Um, what'd you say? Mars Cheese Castle. Yeah. Axel responds with Cheesecake Factory. You start talking <laughs> about grilled cheese. Well, I am French. What'd you expect? <laughs> yeah. <no kidding>. So. <laughs> and I, all right. And to, to carry this on before Livius cuts us off, I was born in Wisconsin, which is like known as a cheese, like, you know, the, one of the cheese states. And okay. I lived for two years in Vermont, which is the other big cheese producing state. So it's in my it's in my blood. I mean, you're as close to French as you can possibly be. I took two years of French in high school, man. I don't remember so, any of it. Do you, do you want to immortalize some of your French on the podcast? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to pass on that. Oh, I think I think he used one of those. How do you say this um, for the name of your story? I don't think even think. Did you even try? No, I didn't try. Okay, like yeah. I probably could have, but and actually, I did um, just say no, which I think pretty much translates to no in French. <laughs> it's uh, I guess in with a French accent, it would be pronounced uh, jamais vu, but uh, jamais vu is is completely fine. Just like you guys say déjà vu. It's the it's I mean it's the sort of technical opposite of that term, right? It means never seen. Yep. So it's uh, encountering a, a sort of familiar situation and yet having no recollection of it whatsoever. Interesting. That's actually really interesting because you'd think we would we would have gave that some thought. You okay? Everything all right over there? Yeah. What's okay. up? Just your glass banging around. Oh, sorry, man. I was that's, that's, for a drink. That's okay. Uh, you just want to make sure you didn't like throw your hands up in the air and throw a bottle <laughs> of bourbon on the floor or something. Hey, if you want me to send you a copy of the stud book to put your drink on for when you're being interviewed, um, it, it muffles all the noise of glasses and stuff like that. Oh, please do that. Yeah. that <laughs> <awful>. <laughs> all right. Um, so you had the final story in this uh, in this book. It takes place in Ghost Town, and it is entitled. Jamais vu. There we go. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about about that story? I'm not going to do it a second time. <laughs> sure. Um, it's a it's a story of loss. It's a story about a man named Jules who whose daughter disappeared a few years prior to the to the story beginning, and as many children disappear in the in the city in general, uh, the search is pretty hopeless. And it's made even more hopeless by the fact that he suffers from a condition called prosopagnosia, if I got the pronunciation right, also known as face blind blindness, uh, which means that he cannot remember people's faces. And the story pretty much kicks into gear when he gets a phone call from his uh, friend Watson, uh, a sort of typical noir detective who informs him that there's a new lead. That's as much as I can say without spoiling anything. So obviously one of the, the more interesting or unique aspects of the story is that uh, face blindness. So what was the inspiration for that? What put that on your radar that made you want to put it in a story? Man, I, I read about it um, sort of randomly a few years ago when uh, on, a, on a forum some some girl posted about the the fact that she had this condition and she told this really, really sort of darkly funny story about what it's like to, to live with it. She talked about how, um, she, she could focus on people's 
sort of not facial features, but someone with a particularly noticeable beard, for example, that's easy for her to recognize. And how one morning her boyfriend shaved and he came out of the bathroom and she started screaming because she, she thought a stranger had broken into their home. Um, so I reached out to her and I, and I just started talking to her and sort of making notes uh, with, without the, the intent of necessarily using it in a story. I, I just thought it was fascinating and, and horrifying. And, and then the, the Soul Standard project um, sort of happened and it, it became obvious that, that I was going to write a, a crime story or a noir story. And I, I wanted to use the, the tropes of noir. And that includes uh, an unreliable protagonist. And all of a sudden, face blindness seemed like the perfect disease to, to have or to inflict upon, upon Jules. Very effective. And one of the things that I thought really kind of uh, nailed just how fucked up having that condition would be, and Caleb mentioned this in the interview, was uh, the elbows, right? Yeah, absolutely. How'd you get uh, that? Was that from her, or did you just come up with the elbows on your own? Because either way, that's, it was an awesome way to really get you to understand what it felt like. Oh, thanks. I, uh, I did come up with the, uh, with the elbow thing on, on my own. I, I had no idea how to explain the condition to, to anyone. And, and she, she had said something similar, however. So I guess the elbow were, was just a, a, an adaptation or, or mutation of what she originally say, said, which she talked about um, walking past a field and seeing a bunch of rocks in, in that field, picking one at random, uh, studying it for a couple of minutes, putting it back down, walking away, and coming back 15 minutes later and trying to find that rock again. Uh, so that's, that, that is also pretty fucking clear how, how you know, terrible of a, of a condition it is. And, and as far as I know, a lot of people go through life without realizing they have it. It's uh, it's pretty underdiagnosed, and and uh, the people with the condition kind of rely on what Jules relies on in the story, which is uh, people's feet, random features that aren't related to the face. So their posture, the way they dress, their voices, piercings, hair color, uh, uh, just uh, body movements in in, in general. Um, but you, you have to think that there are maybe not millions, but probably a couple thousand people walking around the U.S. right now who have this condition and don't know it. And I, I don't know what to do with that other than think that it's pretty fucking sad. God, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's a little that's a little nuts. It's funny you say that because I had just said to somebody today to a, a, a customer at work, I actually said, have I talked to you before? And the the woman said, she goes, I, maybe. She's like, yeah, I come in here. I go, and I said, you have a very distinctive voice. And then when I thought about it, I realized she doesn't have a distinctive voice. I just have a very good ear for voices, and it's better than for faces. Right. Yeah, I mean, so we, yeah. I'll watch something on TV. I'll be like, I know this actor. I recognize that voice. Is how I, <laughs> like, you know. So I, I don't think I have face blindness, but... Um, you kind of go back to what you said. If you don't know you have it, is it really that terrible? I, I think that that's um, 
that that's a that's a question that that I've asked myself about people with with different like if you like if you're crazy and you don't know that you're crazy, does it really affect you? Because it's kind of right. the same thing, you know. So you grow up learning to recognize people by the color of their hair or their posture. And I guess if I guess it's it's much worse if you know you have it. I think that undiagnosed might actually be better for some people, uh, as oddly as that sounds. No, I, I can see that. I can see that. I, I guess ultimately, like, like a lot of things, it, it, it'll depend on how badly it affects your life, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't hold down a, right. a job where you have to deal with customers, for example. Sure. But uh, something tells me that, that the the people who have face blindness and don't know it might organically gr- sort of drift away from those types of jobs. Uh, yeah. They they might end up not having to deal with faces all that much. I don't know. Someone has to look into that. Someone smarter than me, a scientist. <laughs> hey, um, changing gears a little bit, still talking about your story, but how depressing did you set out to make that story? Because I know exactly how depressing it wound up being. <laughs> Shed a little tear, huh? I, I got to tell you, it takes a lot, man, when you have a heart of stone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that one that one really, uh, really, I, I think, got both of us. So I guess what I'm saying is, did that kind of organically just become a very sad story? Or did you say, I know what I'm going to put in this book? You talked about crime. You talked about using face blindness. But were you like, I am just going to break people down with this shit? <laughs> no, I... When I started writing it, you know, I I, I actually just wrote a, a little essay about this that'll be published somewhere. I am not sure, but when I started writing the story, I realized very quickly that I don't have the tools to write a, a crime or noir story. I I tend to live in the sci-fi and, and fantasy world, and it's very very easy to. Um, to use devices that are inherent to those genres to, to get along through a story. A magic portal can open anywhere. A crazy monster can be used as a, as a plot device. And, and when, when I started writing this story, I immediately thought of, of uh, something Craig Clevenger th- said a while ago about how crime writers get the most amount of millage, I believe, out of the, the, the most simple rules of writing something along those lines and they basically they do the most with the least and i and i realized very quickly that i i don't know how to do with with what little crime gives you um so so i i went through the the noir tropes uh which is you know the sort of fallen from grace detective the unreliable narrator the femme fatale uh, the the feeling of doom, the feeling of loss, the this feeling that you're fucked, uh, vigilante justice, a villain protagonist, the uselessness of the law in the face of evil that men do, and the corruption of power. And and I went along with a few of those and decided to subvert them or at least twist them a little bit, so. And and I I really struggled with the with the femme fatale char- character. It it I didn't want to have the. We already had a book that was loaded with male stories, and I didn't want to have a, a female character who was just this little plot device or, or who who was just this badass killer. 
and the idea of making her a child and and her not being fatal uh came very became very obvious hence the heartbreak because there, there's nothing more frail than a child it's it's you know no matter what your religion is what, what your uh, political allegiance is whatever you think about life in general however you choose to tackle it human beings generally agree that children are in a way saintly and and should be protected so the the sadness when it comes to that was unfortunately very organic um yeah We're just gonna put like a minute of silence after that one, um, so all, like the sadness can, can sink in. Um, another thing that I observed about your story that's a little bit different than the other three was that um, your protagonist is is pretty much a normal guy. There's no life of crime really. It's just a normal guy who, when um, circumstances push him, he he goes to extraordinary lengths, right, to save his child or at least to try and find his child. So definitely a different approach, but I think that that, had, that carried with it a little bit more weight um, uh, for the overall, you know, kind of what happens in the story. Not really a question, I guess, but just kind of one of the things. <laughs> so um, was that an, an intentional thing or that's just kind of how the story took you? It was intentional. Uh, and I think, man, it's really hard not to spoil or give away too much, but... The original idea was to kind of trick you all with the, the notion of a moral protagonist in an immoral world. But I don't think Jules is really a good guy. I mean, hmm. he's good compared to everyone else. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's not a pedophile. He's not a rapist. Um, and, but, but... If you met this man in sort of our circles, you know, you, as part of your daily life, I'm not sure it's someone you would hang out with. He gets very violent. And there's more that I've buried uh, beneath the story to the point where, you know, I almost feel like we should do a, <laughs> a spoiler section about this. But the, the, there's a lot hidden there. And he's not, he's not that great a dude. Um, and... We'll see. We'll see what people can figure out. We'll see if they if they have a different if if different readers have a, a different feeling uh, about who Jules really is. But I, I so far from what I've seen, everyone is swept away by the his loss by by the heartbreak, which is yeah pretty universal, right? So so it's easy to be to be fooled. But if uh, just a little hint there. He's <laughs> he doesn't talk much about his wife. He's pretty casual about dismissing her death. Mm. That right there is you know I'm I'm not saying Jules <laughs> killed his wife. That's that's not why I, I'm saying it. It reflects it says quite a lot about her character when the the supposed love of their life is is mentioned just in passing. I actually that brings something up that I was thinking when I was reading this book. Everybody's wife is like either dead or dying. Like that is yeah. universal in this book is like the wives of the protagonists are definitely 
almost entirely an afterthought with the exception of um Nick's story but still it's like on its way to, to the same you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah, and that, and that end, yeah that ending to uh it's it's uh it's not really good for <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the fictional we female characters we have um I that was one of my concerns when we started writing this and it's been a concern throughout the entire writing process where to the point where I think just a couple of months ago, I talked to uh, our editor guy and said, look, I'm, I might want to make Jules a woman. It might be a Julia. Uh, and then I realized that I would have to, to write about a, a woman losing her daughter. And I, 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 that was, I, I couldn't. I, I, I just, maybe I don't have the skills, maybe I don't have the, the moral fortitude, but the, that just seemed so horrifying. Um, but where, what Guy and I talked about was the fact that this was a book about ugly men doing very ugly things. And if you look at all our female characters, they're not necessarily victims, um, but none of them are really monsters in the way the men are. And, and quite often they, they offer the possibility of redemption or they serve as a moral compass in some cases. We, we might disagree, you know, that compass might not exactly point north, but it's, it's better than what the men are dealing with. So, I don't know, that, that was definitely a worry I had. Uh, how, how, because you, we know women are, are, tend to be, especially at, in the hands of male writers, uh, pretty badly represented, especially in crime fiction where they're often, what, uh, yeah, the femme fatale, the prostitute, the dead wife, the treacherous wife. And I, I thought it was important that if, if we were going to go in that direction somewhat, then the men needed to be real pieces of shit. They, they, they really needed to not, not be heroes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I throw a yeah in there myself. <laughs> this is the part of the interview where we all say yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this next question um, can kind of go in any direction. So I'm kind of going to tie like three questions in together. Um, your story um, had, you know, without saying too much, the most overall impact on the world that it took place in. Yeah. Um, so kind of how was the story order decided? Um, and, um, you know, did you did you feel pressure to tie in um, more to the stories that came before you, although you had kind of like this bigger impact overall? Um, you know, how, how did you feel about trying to tie in to three um, preceding stories? Scared. <laughs> it's, I think that's the, the best way to put it. Uh, I, I had to, in a way find a balance between telling my own story and and carrying the the weight of of the of all the stories that came before it and made sure that the the reader left with um uh re- the reader doesn't have to be happy but has a sense of closure and or of something opening up so that that was one of the biggest struggles for sure uh, making sure that Jewel's story resolved itself in a way that I thought was 
adequate while at the same time uh, expanding on, on what the other guys had done and making sure to close as many or close or open up as many plot threads as possible. Uh, the, it helped that the, I mean, was it Nick who mentioned that the order wasn't really set in stone from the get-go or that Richard was supposed to, to end the book? I can't yeah, remember. I believe yeah. it was, mm-hmm. yeah, Nick. Yeah, I don't remember it that way. <laughs> I, I think I was always supposed to, <laughs> to, to uh, it's fun because you get the, the different uh, versions based on, on each writer, but as far as I remember, I was always supposed to, to, to end things. So it's, it's been in, in my mind from the get-go, for sure. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. And it, it happened with a lot of struggle and with a lot of reading what the other guys had done. My, my first draft, the first couple of drafts of the story, didn't have that ending at all. At all. And it's only by rereading what the other guys had done that I said, oh, okay, I, I, I get this. And we will see if it works for, for people. I hope it will. <laughs> I don't care. I read it, so I don't care what other people <laughs> think about it. Okay, so now here comes the uh, the gun to the head question. We're we're cracking down on people giving us shitty answers. So if you don't, we don't like your answer. We're going to press you on it. Well, uh, R- Ryan just walked into my. <laughs> how did? Okay, he's got a gun pointed to my head. And actually, also, why is he wearing a gym suit? That's that's. That's just that's what, what he that's always just wears. What he wears. Yeah, yeah that's, we didn't ask him to wear that. That's just okay. his thing. All right, Ryan. Little, yeah, uh, <laughs> little diversion before we go into this question now, because you mentioned Ryan, the marketing intern. Uh, like last week, uh, he FaceTimed me from the Great Wall of China. Ooh, so, what what yeah. the hell? See, that's yeah. exotic. Yeah. So I was, I was having a, a video call with someone who was standing on the Great Wall of China, and that's the marvelous world that we live in now all right so he was in china was he using a knockoff iphone (laughs) to facetime you that's all i really want to know no well of course not no okay because we both work for an unnamed electronics uh retail company so of course he Mm -hmm. has access to the the real deal um but he does have a china like a local phone number so he he's i mean that's the best i could say he got a china (laughs) phone number anyway this has nothing to do with the question I'm about to ask Axel. Um, and Ryan probably is starting to sweat. Mm-hmm. So, in that gimp suit, that's what I mean. <laughs> uh, we're going to ask you to pick a favorite story in the Soul Standard. It's got to be mine. <laughs> I that's gotta fair. Be that's fair. I, I think mean, that's... I, well. Let's be real. Let's be honest. It's the standout favorite so far. <laughs> Come on, I mean, you've you've seen these scrubs I've been lumped in with. It's please. Yeah, we thought, we thought you might say Caleb's story. Actually, uh, okay. I I think I will say this very humbly. I I think I did a good fucking job with the story. I am really, really, really proud of it. <laughs> Um, Axel, I'm going to teach you a little bit about the English language because I know it's it's a second language for you. Humble. When you say humbly, and then you say really fucking, when in what you're saying humbly, it totally oh, that, takes away the humble. That's, uh, I mean, look, man, it's my second language, okay? Just... <laughs> I know, no, no. It's just... 
hold on, let me let me think about this. Yeah, I don't want to give the 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 politically correct answer. I Nick's story is a it's a monster of a story. It's the I I've always admired Nick. I really really have. It's it's the reason back when I, I used to run this tiny little magazine called Rotten Leaves, why I had him on as an editor, based on one of the stories he submitted. I, I Of course, I wanted the story, but I also said, please join the staff because you rule. And, and um, his story in the book, which I can't pronounce, is... It's it's stunning. And the fight scenes. I, I'm like you live. I, th- I think that was you who mentioned it. I I don't deal well with fights uh, mm-hmm. described in a literary format. You know, just the, the written text generally doesn't do them justice. And the, the only exception I could think of before reading Nick's story was uh, Craig Davidson's Rust and Bone. If you guys have read that, no, no, I haven't read any Craig Davidson actually. Okay. Um, uh, well, you read his story from Warm and Bound, but well, otherwise, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, really, really vivid, violent descriptions of of men fighting, and Nick has managed to channel that. It, it was really impressive. Caleb is Caleb, which is, which is that he. I never know what to expect with his stories. I never do. He's, I think he would have found a really good home with the, the bizarro writers and the new weird movement that, that whole scene with, uh, where the, the guy who's about to commit suicide gets sort of wrapped up to preserve his, uh, organs. Yeah. That's incredible. Who thinks of that? Yeah. A weirdo Caleb. like Caleb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And and Richard does really does violence and sex like like no one else. It's uh, if if you know he's Nick really did something masterful with his fight scenes, and I think the the violence in, in Richard's piece is so brutal. And and so I like them all. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been involved. But come on, mine still wins. All right. I think that's the satisfactory <laughs> answer to that question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A plus. Hmm. Oh, okay. Ryan just left. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Axel, what are you? Uh, what are you working on now, or or what will we see next from you? Nothing. I'm uh, I'm pulling a Caleb J. Ross and retiring. No, you're not. Don't don't no, say I'm that. Not. I, I never would. Ryan's I'm... about to walk back into the room. <laughs> I'm. I've been trying to get my shit in gear and actually be really productive and and start publishing regularly. Uh, I'm finishing, hopefully within the next month, a collection of short stories, four of, four of which have already been published, and six of which are completely new. Uh, it includes a light to starve by, by the way. So, and thank you guys again for that review. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm, that's that's a uh, that's an oldie but, but goodie. I think it has uh, stood the test of time. So I'm I'm hoping to wrap up that collection very shortly, and we'll see if I if I manage to sell it. Otherwise, 
short stories in, in semi-pro and pro magazines. I already have three or four lined up for 2017. And that's about it. That's uh, just short work from me at the moment. Very exciting stuff. Always exciting to um, to read stuff from, from you, Axel. I always look forward to it. I know Rob does as well. Thanks, yeah. guys. One of these days we're going to get like the 700-page Axel novel that he spent like five years writing and it's just going to destroy our hearts. <laughs> and we're just going to not want to read anymore. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, that, oh sorry. Okay. No, no, no. no I, I just had another question. This is actually perfect. I can't believe I didn't think of this earlier. You're the only author I think that we've ever had on that talks about science fiction. So yeah. um, let's throw in one more question. <laughs> Why is science fiction even a thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i mean it's for nerds well we may have to have That's you it. back on during it's, huggo month it's it's good <laughs> oh huggo month um why is science fiction a thing science fiction is the literature of what's possible it's it's one of the most powerful genres we have i would argue it shows us possible futures some of them we might want to avoid some of them we might want want to go f- towards but it's just uh, good science fiction writers are, are architects of a different reality, I believe Ursula K. Le Guin said, and I, I very much believe that. I think there's something very, very powerful about imagining what the future might look like or even just having thought experiments about what the future might not look like. And don't get me wrong, there is a lot of shitty sci-fi out there, and there's a lot of really bad fantasy too. If I, you know, I I don't want to read about elves ever again. I really don't. <laughs> we're we're done. Elf, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, elves, uh, names with more than eight syllables, that's not okay. And science fiction that heavily relies on, on traveling past uh, sort of warp speed, you know, being able to teleport halfway across the universe. All of that's been done. We we saw it. We read it. Let's let's come up with something new. But I I, I mean, Liv, what is it that bothers you about it? Just that it exists. <laughs> Just, <laughs> wow. We're yeah. gonna dedicate a whole month to talking about it. Coming up here real soon, I think. I think that's <laughs> that's actually gonna gonna be a go. Or maybe we try to review some science fiction books. Who is the who is the James Patterson of the sci fi world? Oh God! If you had to pick like one, wait, wait hold, James Patterson in what way? Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, just like yeah, the, the most books, the the highest output, the probably in that typically translates to bestseller. Name. Yeah. Holy shit! I have no idea. So like it would be so like or the Stephen King of of sci-fi, right? Because well, I'm not calling Stephen King the James Patterson of horror, but like he's the big name. He's that, Big, he's got the big name, the big output. Like he's the one that everybody knows. I think you would have to go with well, if you're looking for quality, Ursula K. Le Guin. She she has a lot of books out, probably fifteen, twenty, something like that. It's not Patterson output, but otherwise you have to look at fantasy for the really for the writers with huge bibliographies. People like Brandon Sanderson, who seem to crank out uh, two hundred thousand word novels every year. Oh, see, that's the other problem with them. That's one of the reasons we we stray away from that because all those books are nine hundred pages. There's apparently like a minimum when you get into fantasy that it has to be nine hundred pages. Yeah, and and half of that is pure exposition. 
yep. about how cool the world is. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there's a lot of I, I think, but readers love that too. And and I can't remember who said that, but I thought it was so true. It was a few years ago. Someone said that fantasy readers will be the death of fantasy. And I'm not getting anyone on my team by saying that. I'm not going to be <laughs> making it. I'm not going to gain gain any right. fans. But I, I think as 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 fantasy, the the people who read fantasy should demand that fantasy be creative. It's it has all the possibilities in the world and all the possibilities that aren't in the world. That's what fantasy is. So for us to to stick to tales of magical medieval kingdoms that are, you know, a thousand pages long, we can do so much more. Yeah, I hate Game of Thrones too. <laughs> oh. uh, we can talk TV shows. Uh, yeah. Oh, 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 so hold on a second. When I messaged Axel earlier, he said he was going to watch La Horde. Did you watch La Horde? I did. And? I liked it. Nice. I mean, it's cheesy. Oh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, yeah. Uh, the, the, the acting is, uh, especially understanding the, the French that they speak. Uh, yeah, that's not, not so great, but, man, that was fun. That, that was a really cool concept, and I, and I don't think I've really seen a horror movie use the, um, the sort of ghetto element uh, of a country. I guess there was that, what was it, Defend the Block? Uh, a British movie with uh, aliens invading a, a sort of lower class neighborhood in London. But but otherwise, I thought it was really cool that you had a, a project being invaded by zombies. That was, that was fantastic. And a lot of blood and a lot of awkward French moments that didn't really make sense. Yeah, see, they all just sounded really sexy talking the whole time. So <laughs> subtitles. Because, you know, you always have to do that thing where you, you discount a little bit of the dialogue because it's subtitled and you don't get, you know, so you just assume that the subtitles are like 30% worse than what's actually being said. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the movie was, was Attack the Block, by the way. Attack the Block. There we go. That was good. Watch that. That was really I may, legit. I may do that. Yeah. Uh, also, who you talked about Arrow, I think, with Nick. Asked him about superhero stuff. A little bit, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's not my shit. No, no. I, I'll tell you, I was really worried about The Flash, and I wound up liking The Flash a lot better than, than Arrow, which is still in season five, super dependent on flashbacks that nobody cares about. Nobody cares about <laughs> season one, and they just keep doing They're still on that island in flashbacks. I don't know how far along you are. I hate to spoil this for anybody. That island will be on for the 30 seasons the show runs. They'll be flashing back to that little bit of time on the island. Well, I, I don't get what's going on on that island. I mean, I, I keep hoping that it's just all going to be a big lost cameo, that they're going to sort of merge in both shows because none of it makes any sense to me. But uh, I, I don't know. Is it Cartoon Network that, 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 uh, that takes care of the shows? You know, oh. Supergirl and, and no, all that stuff. No, that's the, um, how are they now, the WB? WB. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. yeah, I don't know. I'm more of a daredevil boy. And Jessica Jones was also really, really good. All the- Rob, did you watch any of the Netflix superhero stuff? Uh, first season of Daredevil I did watch, and I thought it was okay. Um, but I did not see the second season, and I did not yet see Jessica Jones. Okay, you you guys might dig it. Very noir 
feeling very I really I really liked Jessica Jones and um I really liked um oh come on what's his name uh the villain in that oh yeah I can't remember yeah I can't believe yeah. I can't remember the doctor who he's the 10th doctor yeah that guy he is fantastic David Tennant was amazing in that um hey I I just have uh, one thing to add uh about the story actually um <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to post some notes on my website, axeltayari.com, at some point. Uh, that for the readers who want to get some hints about what might really be going on, then they'll find some hints there. And I'll do uh, I'll properly acknowledge some of the literary references and nods I've I've uh, hidden in the story. There's a, there's a paragraph that's almost a, a complete reversal of a paragraph from Lolita, and there's stuff that's linked to Prometheus Unbound and Paradise Lost. It's all very nerdy surface stuff, but I guess some readers might get a kick out of that. That actually sounds very, very cool. Let us know when it's up, and we will definitely point our listeners in that general direction. Right on. Yeah, you, when you said literary references, I, I, w- I was going to correct you and say that you really can't call Caleb or Richard or Nick stories <laughs> literary. So I'm glad you I'm glad you continued that thought. Yeah, that's pure pulp. That doesn't count as literary. <laughs> we should all be worshiping Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, no, I, I can't deal with that dude. I, I really, I'm. Would it be okay to? to start the literary equivalent of, of uh, hip-hop beefs and just do it with all the writers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think everyone's being kind of precious and nice to one another. And when I read stuff written by friends, and I just I get the urge to go on Twitter and, and say mean things. I think that I, I would encourage that. Actually, if you remember, I don't know if you listened to, we interviewed Rob Hart, uh sometime within the last year and he had some very not nice things to say about Jonathan Safran for and he was very passionate about it and I was like this is great we need to have this happen all the time so if you I want, vaguely remember that <laughs> yeah if you that was Maybe awesome it's just guys named Jonathan can you guys think of a guy named Jonathan that you like no see silence mm. there there you go I was trying wow uh, yeah, I, I want to tackle yeah. friends. So, Axel, here's here's what we think you should do. You should absolutely do that. You should do it in audio, and you should send it to us, and we would be happy to give you your own little spot where you start beefs with people Dude, who he already not listen to this show. He already started it. Axel, think back to the FCJR book. Of course, the original. I mean, yeah. There were some well, sick, that, sick burns in that story. That's, uh, I can't even remember what I wrote. I know that I laughed a lot and that it was very, <laughs> very wrong of me to write it. And that I was afraid that I was actually bullying Caleb. But um, given enough time, I could find it and I can share some of what you what you said. Oh God! Oh man, this was great. And I like the fact that the FCJR book has come up now in every interview. A catalog of sick burns, <laughs> an epic experimental postmodern poem in three ironic parts. Uh, this is good stuff. I don't know if I'm actually going to share any bits of it. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Caleb, fuck off. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I need you to dig that up. I don't remember writing it. <laughs> I, I 
you know, I, I think it was anything related to Caleb. I just try to wipe it, erase it from my memory. Oh, you did say that Mark Z. Danielewski told you that he was going to sue Caleb for as a machine in parts. He should. He absolutely should. Yeah. That 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 was just true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. But yeah, I think that um, the literary beefs need to start happening. Although mm-hmm. probably a better term than literary beef. Yeah, that's that sounds oddly tasty. <laughs> like it's just really well prepared meat. <laughs> yes, it's just a high class meat, probably cooked in New York. <laughs> oh, all right. This has gotten off on all the listeners are like, "What the fuck are they even talking yeah, about?" Well, hey, thank you guys. <laughs> I'm gonna rein this in, Axel. Thanks for digitally crossing an ocean to be on this podcast hey and thanks for remembering that you were scheduled to be on with us too we appreciate it <laughs> my pleasure guys thank you so much for having me once again great talking to axel tari i don't know what time of day it was for him but um he's probably it's probably like you know three in the morning in or the something morning. 15, 15 in the morning 15 in the morning yep. <laughs> love they're that on, guy they're on the metric system over there you wouldn't understand yeah it's like seven French Franks o'clock over there or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um great. I it's been way too long since we've had a reason to get Axel on, so I'm glad we got to do that. So that concludes three episodes dedicated to one book that contains four stories. There's some math for you. Um, that we've been waiting five years five for. Five years for. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um thanks guys uh for listening definitely um i know we mentioned it i believe earlier this episode this has been recorded over a series of days so um soul standard is available now both in its paper native paper format and in the super duper exciting digital format the preferred format of book podcast we actually had to read this in paper did i talk about how my fingers are all cut up from the pages and stuff i mean it's like riding a bike man you fall off and skin your knee? Apparently. That's when probably the last what I time, When was the last time you rode a bike? <laughs> um, I honestly cannot. Oh, um, I'm going to say seven, eight years ago. When I lived in the city, the like back in 2007 or eight, I had a bicycle. I don't believe any of what you just said. I, uh, I had a 10 speed and I oh, would. Uh, are there pictures? Uh No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, then you're making this shit up. Hey, what's uh what's up next? With uh I can't tell you how excited I am that the next episode is going to be an interlude. So we're in the we're just finally stepping into the reality of the lazy summer of podcasting and interlude time, sir. Just straight up interlude. Awesome. I am looking forward to an interlude. Um, I'm also thinking there might be a, what could be the third and final book live coming up soon. <laughs> uh, really? You don't want to do another one? You want to call it quits after the second one? or? Um, no. Oh, I, I just didn't know how that played into the episodes that are coming up for the podcast because that's like entirely oh, different. Well, no, it is. But I mean, it's, it's still for, for, for listeners of the podcast, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to do some book. I love doing book live. I get drunk. People watch me drink. <laughs> I'm in pain for like three hours where I just go, oh, my God, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> um, really, I haven't thought about this because no one has said this to me in years, but I can't wait to, to watch your podcast. Now people can oh, wait to watch your podcast. Remember when people yeah. used to say that to you uh, all the time? No, yeah. someone said that to me 
literally two days ago i was at work oh, and, God damn and someone it. said like oh he does a podcast and the guy's like yeah I've, I've never watched it and i just i just looked at him now he can watch the podcast now it's a reality now it's a reality we finally confirmed it took five years but we came around to watching the podcast so um so that's coming up too i think maybe it's it's all possible. So that will wrap it up for this probably significantly long double interview episode in your face. This is horror. Happy birthday, <laughs> Michael Wilson. Happy birthday, buddy. This is for you. A two-hour interview episode. <laughs> However, it doesn't so we I think the longest interview episode we've ever had was is still the record is being held by Craig Clevenger, which was I think two hours and twelve minutes long or something like that. You never know. Maybe we'll get him to join us for a lazy summer episode. That would be nice. Um, but no matter what, that wraps it up for this episode. Join us uh, next episode for an interlude. And if you sign up for our newsletter, just go to bookedpodcast.com. It's impossible to miss. We will let you know when that booked live is going to happen. With at least two hours warning. At least two hours. <laughs> unless you're in a different time zone. Then we don't know what that works out to. Right. Until then, I'm Livius Nedden. Nam Rebels and keep reading.